find struggle if you want some. You got to make trouble. Freedom is a constant struggle if you want some. You got to make trouble. We're the troublemakers. Help us save the world. 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 Second day of February 2003. How sad the day we viewed his body laid before us in a coffee brown suit with a tan shirt and tie. Sukara, his face reflected a peaceful smile. Meanwhile, I put a tiny conga, emblem of his impact on my life, in his hands under a big black crucifix. Mongo, como te quise, te quiero. Por ser inspiración mayor y amigo sincero. The Woodlawn Caballero Cemetery in the southwest part of Miami was a scene where over 150 of his family, friends, rumberos, and the media converged for the final despedida. Where rumberos like Julio Chino Agosto, Daniel Ponce, and others played the farewell rumba while we responded with the coro. Now images 
of in spring to find. And I recall him on the San Francisco stages of El Matador, to the Keystone Corner, to New York's Village Gate, Brother Mongo, genuine Mongo, whose beat spoke of Africa, who woke us up to our Latin soul. Though physically gone, has left an ember in the hearts and minds of those who rever his legacy and play his beats on and on. Welcome to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. Thanks for joining me today. It is May 11th, 2018, and it is a beautiful day here in the Mission District of San Francisco. That was a little music from the Troublemakers Union, and I want to give a shout out to uh, Roman, who's the host of the Weekly Review, who um, has a show right before this one and is always a a great uh, friend and amenable person to work with and transition from one show to the next. It's all about community. That's what Mutiny Radio is all about. So uh, thanks, Roman, for that and for throwing on some Troublemakers Union. As I get set up here, we're going to play some music um, from Joy Rosenberg's new CD, new album called My Own Religion. And then I have, I'm excited, I have two guests today and we're going to be talking about creative housing solutions. So my first guest is going to be Renee McLaughlin, um, who is the kind of founder and event organizer of Tiny Fest, which is coming up in June. It's going to be here in the Bay Area in San Jose. And we're going to be talking with Renee about Tiny Fest and tiny home living and those kind of creative solutions. And then a little while later, we're going to have a visit from mayoral candidate Amy Farah-Weiss, who's been doing a lot of work um, on the ground as part of the St. Francis Homelessness Challenge, trying to think up, um, you know, community integrated solutions for housing, the housing problems that we face here in San Francisco. So looking forward to all of this. First, a little music from Joy Rosenberg, and this is her title track, My Own Religion. Ready 
Welcome back. Again, that was some new music from Joy Rosenberg's new album called My Own Religion. And uh, that was the title track. So uh, I want to tell you real quick how Joy uh, got her music here uh, played on Mutiny Radio. Um, I I put out a little call on Facebook and said, you know, looking for some, some, some female voices to share on Women's Magazine. And she said, I've got some music and sent me a CD and I opened it about 10 minutes ago. So you too can be a part of Mutiny Radio and do the same thing. Reach out. Don't be shy. That's what I like to tell my, my English learning students in class. You can talk. Don't be shy. Well, uh, I'm Global Val. You're listening to Women's Magazine, MutinyRadio.fm. And my uh, guest today, my first guest today, is Renee McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yes. Yes. Great job. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a little Irish in me, but that one has always, like, tripped my tongue just a touch. Um, And uh, Renee is the event organizer for Tiny Fest. And Tiny Fest is coming to the South Bay June 15th to 17th. And what we're talking about are tiny homes and tiny living solutions. Um, So Renee and I connected at Earth Day San Francisco. And here she is at Mutiny Radio. Thank you so much for coming in today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So Tiny Fest, um, tell us about the origins of Tiny Fest. And I know that you two have your own experience of living in a, a very small, is it 87 square foot uh, tiny home for over a couple, for a couple of years at least. So um, yeah, maybe you want to start with your story of uh, how you got into the whole idea of having a tiny home and then how it's expanded to this beautiful dream called Tiny Fest. Thanks so much. I um, I have been living for over two years now in an 87 square foot tiny house on wheels, and uh, it really amazes people. They they do a quick calculation and round it off to eight eight by ten foot, which is you know maybe about half the size of the studio that we're in right now. Um, but I do have you know a bathroom with surprisingly a flush toilet. I did not design this or I would have had a composting, but um, there's a shower, there's a sink, there's a bathroom sink, there's um, propane stove, a small refrigerator. It's just really amazing when something is well-designed, how much you can fit into it, and when you get rid of all of your things that you don't really need. Um, I've heard that the average household has 300,000 items in them. Wow. That's a lot of things to keep track of and clean and sort and put away all the time because somehow they keep coming out even though you don't use them very much so um, my house doesn't have anywhere near that amount when you get rid of what you don't need it's surprising what you can really live with and be happy that you've shed all that extra clutter in your life so. you're, you're really inspiring me in this conversation um, because I, I, I have lived in a small space before I used to live on a boat on a sailboat and when I moved onto the boat, I, I, I used it as an opportunity to just take what I needed, just take what I used, 
and kind of leave other things behind. But I still have, I still had some storage offsite. Uh, do, you, do you have that as well? I do have a small amount of storage offsite, but it's um, for memory type items. I have uh, two grown daughters and I have some fairly family heirlooms and some things from them when they were growing up and even my own uh, you know, childhood and things growing up. So I try not to hold on to things like there's, there are no other kitchen utensils in there. You know what I mean? It's if you put it in storage for a year and you realize you haven't used it, you probably really don't need it. And if you look back at what you're paying on storage, you probably could have just bought a new one three times or gone to the cell, you know, to the secondhand store and, and bought 10 of them and given nine to people, other people that needed it. You know, it's just, uh, the, the cost of storing something is often not, not worth it. So I donated a lot of things and cleaned house. <laughs> that again, inspirational, um, because it, it is hard to, um, try to figure out, well, what do I need or what do I, what should I keep? Um, but, uh, coming from a very utilitarian, um, mindset of this is my tiny home. I really only need one spatula or some, or something to that effect. So is your tiny home, um, mobile? It is mobile. Um, it's on a, a trailer that I can pull behind my, my pickup truck. Um, you know, it's like a Chevy 1500. And so I did just bring it from Iowa. I'm, I grew up in Iowa and I had been living there with my tiny house. And I just pulled that uh, across the country in January. Then I flew out to New Jersey and my, um, my partner in Tiny Fest, Hillary, pulled her we pulled her house from New Jersey to California. So we both have our houses out here. And for instance, next week, her house will be at the Maker Fair, um, the Bay Area Maker Fair for people to come and check out. And um, of course, at Tiny Fest with a whole lot of other tiny houses. So uh, so you and, um, and Hillary kind of caravaned across the country with your tiny homes in tow? Well, we did one trip at a time. Oh, Mine in okay. January, hers in March. So... Nice. So you two have been putting together and, and kind of living this tiny home dream or, or uh, kind of formulating the dream as you, as you go along. So t- bring, it, bring us into how, I mean, how do you go from the idea of I'm going to live in a tiny house uh, to I'm going to organize a huge tiny fest festival, um, which is happening across the country in three different regions? Yeah, the event is going to be really exciting. There are three festivals happening, one on the East Coast, and that one is being put on by United Tiny House Association, and then one in Nebraska, which is Tiny Fest Midwest, and one in California, Tiny Fest California, very aptly named, right? Um, And uh, just going from from the idea of living the tiny houses, I've, I've gone to several different festivals, and they're generally um, in the ones that I've been to, Colorado, but also the southeast part of the country. And I wanted to spread that message because I found that the festivals are a great way to connect the community. And when you can start connecting people that are passionate about something, then that movement can move forward. And um, each area of the country kind of has their own distinct needs. I felt like in the Midwest, you know, some of the things that they're really bringing awareness to and connecting people, not only the regulations and zoning, but say um, the eco-friendly living, um, minimizing your your clutter and getting rid of this growing huge house size, which is, um, you know, the houses now are like 50% larger, gen- basically from 40 years ago. But here on the West Coast, 
a lot of people already live tiny, but they really um, are making great strides. And I'm, I'm excited to be connecting a lot of people in the housing industry um, and with people with that are advocating for tiny houses to try and get those two groups of entities to be able to move forward together. Currently, tiny houses on wheels are not acceptable um, as backyard units, so what's commonly called ADU, which is accessory dwelling unit. That's the industry term. Um, so, so lots of people love the idea of a tiny house, but they really don't have a place they can park it here in the Bay Area. So we're working on bringing those groups together so they can um, help spread the wording and get some local advocacy out to um, start implementing uh, ideas to where the, that could become a realization. Yeah, and I think it's really important to be able to, to push that envelope because the Bay Area has such a, and all throughout California, the, of course, the housing crisis is something that is on the forefront of everybody's mind, whether or not they already have a place or they're looking for a place or they're contemplating, you know, what their next step or stage in, in their life will be. Um, so yeah, it is a, a little unfortunate that currently we're not zoned to have the tiny houses on, on different properties. Have you heard of people getting per permits to do so or um, on like one-off bases or? Um, I haven't heard of that. There are particular cities. Um, I just drew a total blank. Santa Cruz, maybe, that, that allows, um, I'm not going to say right now, because sure. I'm going to be wrong, That's but okay. I do know that San Luis Obispo is working on that as well, allowing tiny house um, mobile structures for ADUs, so those would be one-off in people's backyards and single-family dwelling-zoned districts. Mm -hmm. um, other people, you know, it's a, it's a complaint-based system that most of us live in and so if you have your tiny house somewhere and your neighbors are not complaining then okay you seem to be able to get by with that yeah. um not something we advocate for you know but uh it's happening it's pretty hard to hide a tiny house so because people love them <laughs> they just they, want to see them and check them out and they are adorable so so tiny fest um so people can go to the websites, Tiny Fest California, the one that's going to be happening here. Um, so that's uh, June 15th to 17th mm -hmm. at the, is it the Santa Clara uh, County Fairgrounds in San Jose? Yes, exactly. So what, what can people expect when they go to the Tiny Fest? Because like you're saying, like the tiny homes are so cute. Like how many, how many tiny houses are going to be there? What kind of workshops or speakers are going to be there to help uh, fill in the gaps for, for people who are thinking about this and are just interested in it? Sure, yes. Well, there will be um, the, um, it always feels funny to say this traditional tiny house on wheels because it's so new, really, there's not a lot of tradition, but that kind of classic tiny house on wheels that you see on t television, there will be um, several of those that are professionally built and also DIY built. We'll also have examples of um, van conversions, bus conversions, shipping container homes. You get to tour all of them, check out their, their um, features and how does it feel when you step inside? Does it feel bigger than you think because 90% of people at least say, it's bigger than I thought. It feels more spacious in here. Um, so it's really great to, to check those out in person, but we do have a full lineup of speakers and workshops and they'll be hitting a variety of topics, um, you know, kind of that, that 
inspiration to, you know, minimize the stuff gluttony, um, building code, zoning, permitting, those kind of issues, uh, the DIY build process. So we have a lot of different topics going on that uh, tie in. Living eco-friendly is another one that works really well with tiny houses. But we'll have things like um, a live build going on where there'll be a steel frame going up. So if someone will bring in a trailer, they'll build the entire steel frame, show you how it can done. You can sign up to be a part and get in there and put your hands on the tools and do it. Your, you know, do a few of those um, steps yourself so you can see how steel frame works. That's a new um, up and coming popular way of building the tiny houses is with steel frame. Um, the godfather of the tiny house movement, the guy they credit with starting it all, the pioneer Jay Schaefer, will be doing a, um, a workshop on Saturday, as well as the American Tiny House Association, doing a workshop on learning how to be a local advocate to legalize tiny houses as um, as ADUs, those secondary backyard, granny flat, they have so many different names, the, those units. So. I like granny flat, that's a, that's a, fun, yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so that so the the um, the one that's going to be constructed there, so it'll be constructed over the course of of the conference of the of the yeah, and it's expo. just the frame itself. So it's okay. um, it's being constructed for an artist. It's a group from LA is coming up. Um, they're actually bringing up a couple of great projects. There are some really awesome people in the state with their wonderful ideas and great work. So Latch is coming up. They're building the um, framework for um, an artist in LA her house so at the end of the weekend her frame will be up and she'll be able to finish the house much more easily um, and it gives her a great jump start to her build so that's so cool um it it sounds like a lot of fun um I want to go to Tiny Fest. Uh, <laughs> I hope out there you're listening. You're like, I want to go to Tiny Fest too. Tinyfestcalifornia.com is where you can find um, all this information. And um, let's talk about tickets. Sure. Yeah. So it's free on Friday night. Ooh. Now the fairgrounds okay. does charge for parking, so I better okay. say that ten dollars for parking per vehicle. Um, I don't know. There's really not a lot of other parking close by. Yeah. But. 10 bucks is not much because it's a free sneak peek Friday night, 5 to 8. Not everything will be open, but pretty much most of it. Um, and then Saturday and Sunday is when we will add all the speakers and the workshops. We'll be adding um, live music. Well, we have live music on Friday night, too. So um, you won't miss much. Uh, speakers and workshops, definitely, though, Saturday and Sunday. And those tickets are $20 at the gate, but you can purchase them $15 online. And right now, if you... If you use the uh, coupon code MOM, you save an extra 25% off. And I say it's a great gift for mom like to take her to the festival, enjoy some time together, and check out the, the houses. You hear that, folks? You just got a discount code. <laughs> <laughs> Tinyfestcalifornia.com if you want to get those tickets. It's discount code MOM, and you get a little discount. Um, but all, overall, uh, a very affordable thing to, to attend. Um, so... The um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just really excited about this because I think um, we you know we need to be able to integrate more uh, creative solutions for for our housing needs and and it's kind of an American dream kind of thing of you know like you said some of the some of the some of the tiny homes will be constructed inside vans or buses you know that's kind of a very classic uh 20th century image of, of american um you know freedom uh the freedom to move around and, and be in different places uh so I, i'm sure that there's a, a large range of um cost um 
what what on the low end and then going up to the high end that you're aware of about how much would people spend building their own tiny home maybe they're doing it diy or maybe they're getting somebody to do it and, and the latter of course would be more expensive um but what, kind of what's the what give people an idea of, sure. the, of the cost of that yeah so the diyers spend considerably less than the professional built houses however they spend a considerable amount of time and generally it's being done by someone that may be knowledgeable but not quite an expert at all things construction. So um, DIYers will often spend somewhere, you know, between 10 and and 35,000. I hear the number 20 and 25,000 a lot. Um, And the professionally built houses generally are going to start at about 45,000 at the low end, um, more often 70s, um, 1,000, 80,000, and on up from there, of course, they'll go up well over 100,000. These are professionally constructed, you know, certified, um, they're, they're ready to roll and beautiful houses. And those are often customized for you. Um, they're not just pulling out a generic house plan and selling it to you for that much. So that makes a big difference when you're building a small space, creating a small space is to be able to customize it to what you need and how you live. So if you, you know, use one, a big kitchen, but a small bathroom, or, um, you know, you have a lot of closet space or not a lot, because when you give one thing, more space, and you're taking it from something else. It's very um, personalized uh, living. And with tiny homes and and the tiny home community that's burgeoning across the country here, um, how many people are living in tiny homes? Is it a lot of, you know, solo folks or are there couples? Do, Do you ever see families that are like doing this, you know, kind of squirrely lifestyle and loving it (laughs) yeah actually um the the two most common things that we see are you know younger couples that are getting started um, in life individual or couples both and um you know maybe they're just not quite settled somewhere yet or don't want to be and then um, folks like myself that are newly empty nesters um and we have a new freedom in life to be able to move to california if we want to um and then uh there are some families though out there for sure. Commonly, I see them with the bus conversions because the buses are so, um, so big. I also have a friend that has a family of six and they built two tiny houses, one for the parents, one for the kids. And they put a, um, like a deck in between and they have all this high tech stuff going between the two houses. So they have cameras and monitors and, um, you know, a canopy between the two. So the, the kids can just, they can just go back and forth between the two, but four kids in the, in the one tiny house and the adults in the kitchen and in the other one bathroom in both wow yeah that's really cool and is it is it a a unit where they could um you know disconnect to take them apart and then put them on the truck and take them where they want to go yes yeah there's actually um two they would need if they moved them at the same time they this particular family would need two trucks or just make two trips to to move their houses a lot of tiny houses don't get moved consistently. I mean, they're, they're your home, every, everything is in it. They're pretty heavy. They're big, big structures, generally eight and a half feet wide, 13 and a half feet tall, usually 20 to 28 feet long. And you get smaller, obviously, and bigger, but, um, there's a few of them that go down up and down the road a lot. Hillary has moved hers over 15,000 miles. Wow. Um, and she had hers at earth day and that's, mm -hmm. I, you know, skipped over there and I was like, tiny, tiny home, tiny fest. And it's so cute. And, um, it had a front porch and 
a whole living space, a kitchen, a bathroom, a lofted bed. And then this, I noticed that the steps going up to the loft were storage bins. So really creative, um, and really personalized as you're saying. So, um, this is exciting. So tinyfestcalifornia.com, check it out. Get your tickets with discount code MOM right now because it's Mother's Day this weekend, which is very exciting. And um, yeah, these uh, go check it out. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy you came in today and I'm going to play a little more music, stick around, and then we're going to have Amy Weiss come in and talk about some more creative housing solutions and open up this conversation a little bit um, as she is someone who's been working towards uh, looking into zoning and things here in the city of San Francisco and has a lot to, uh, you know, to, that, that she can offer in terms of uh, connecting some of these ideas, I think. So um, Renee McLaughlin, event organizer of Tiny Fest in California. Thanks for being here. Stay tuned. I want to play a little music more from Joy Rosenberg, her album, My Own Religion. I'm going to uh, grab this track called There Is a Light.
Welcome back to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco's Mission District. And I'm happy to be here playing some music from Joy Rosenberg. And also with my guest, Renee McLaughlin from Tiny Fest, an event organizer of Tiny Fest. And now joining us is Amy Farrah Weiss, who is running for mayor of San Francisco, uh, running at full speed and has been doing so much work over the past two years. Uh, she ran for mayor back in 2015 and afterwards um, founded the St. Francis Homelessness Challenge, really trying to figure out some creative community integrated solutions for the housing crisis here in San Francisco, both for our homeless residents and also for people who are um, you know, in, in danger of eviction. So Amy Farrah-Weiss, welcome. And Renee, welcome back. Great to be here. All right. So we were just talking about Tiny Fest, all of these, um, you know, wonderful little homes that people are building uh, for themselves at, uh, you know, a rather low cost considerably when we're talking about housing costs in California, but still running into some of the problems of not necessarily being, you know, properly zoned or, or permitted to be in different places. And so, Amy, I know you've got a lot to say on that front um, about what's what you've learned about zoning in San Francisco and some of the programs that you're trying to work on, that you are working on right now. Sure. And I heard you talking about price for the tiny homes and the transitional shelter model that we've used, the plans, it's for a five by eight by eight transitional shelter and they're on caster wheels and the price of that without including labor because we've been fortunate enough thus far to have donated labor both from volunteers and from current and former encampment residents the cost is one thousand dollars and so it's very affordable and one of the challenges that we have here in the city is that although the city has grown accustomed to the status quo of thousands of people living in tents or without any security at all, a tent is not secure, no. uh, but neither is sleeping on cardboard or in a sleeping bag. And so rather than saying that that constitutes a true humanitarian public health public safety crisis and saying that the current conditions are unacceptable so we should utilize something that is a huge step up such as one of our transitional shelters city hall the fire department under ed lee's administration and continuing under mark farrell's administration have said that what we are creating is dangerous and that it's a fire safety hazard. And when I met with Chief Joanna Hayes-White from the SF Fire Department with the head of the Department of Homelessness, I found out that she is a Catholic and a fan of St. Francis as well and, so, and has a statue of him in her backyard. And I said, point blank, do you think it's more safe for someone to live in one of our shelters or to live on the street without access to security in a tent. And they won't answer a point blank question about that because they're operating in this other mindset. And so I did build our shelter to a code that we could use. A, it's called the National Fire Protection Association Standards for Small RVs, NFPA 1192. And so we have, and this is something that I've been talking about for two years now in San Francisco, trying to work with City Hall saying, 
this is a model, this is safe, this is something that we can work with current and former encampment residents and the community to build up these shelters that provide essential, essential privacy and security for people and their belongings. And there's been such pushback. And so that's why it was so exciting last October when Phil Ting's legislation got signed by Governor Brown, which was uh, Assembly Bill uh, 932, which says that a city uh, in the Bay Area, uh, he extended it not just to San Francisco, but also to Berkeley and Alameda County, et cetera. Uh, any jurisdiction can come up with what they call reasonable standards to address the shelter shortage crisis. Hmm. And so when that happened, we we talked about it in the safe organized spaces working group that I uh, facilitate. And we were like literally, you know, whooping and hollering with joy that AB 932 is now a tool that we can use in San Francisco. And imagine my frustration that here we are how many months later and we have not implemented that. And we're not treating the shelter shortage crisis like a true crisis. And there is this very practical solution that's cost effective, that helps people on their pathway to healing and housing. And the city currently spends $30 million a year on DPW and SFPD on their what I call move along strategy of shuffling 3,000, 3,500 people or so block to block. The model that I've created for transitional villages, which include these mobile shelters, is $30 million for 3,000 people. So we could do this at the same cost of what's being spent for costly misery. And it's just so frustrating. And the reason I'm running for mayor this time is that I've personally tried to work with Jane Kim, Mark Leno, London Breed, and Angela Aliotto, having meetings with many of them over the last two and a half years to focus on this and work together. And I didn't feel that any of them truly understood how to treat it like a crisis and that they would indeed make a dent in that in a way that felt that it was... Uh, you know, moving at the clip that I think we need to, which is a crisis is a crisis. If we had a big one tomorrow, how would we house, you know, temporarily 3000 people? I have a plan to do that and I want to do it no matter who becomes mayor. So I know, thank you, Amy, um, for all of your work and for bringing these ideas, not, not just complaints, but solutions to City Hall and to work with other uh, city agencies um, so that they can see that there is there are community members who have ideas and plans and creative ways to address uh, this, this homelessness crisis, this encampment crisis that doesn't involve shuffling people along, taking away their belongings, hosing, down, hosing people down the street, uh, sometimes quite literally, um, and pretending like they're actually giving them an option uh, by saying you can you know, have a shelter uh, mat on the floor for seven days, but you can't bring any of your belongings except one bag. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it's not solving any problems. Um, even, even the people who were taking, taking up that offer, you know, seven nights in, indoors is not a solution. It's not a long-term, uh, 
plan for getting people to, to move off of the streets. So in, in all of your work, um, what areas of the city have you identified as potential areas where you could have these small um, shelter units? Um, and, and, uh, and tell us a little bit more about your, your SOS plan, your, your safe organized spaces idea. Sure. So the low hanging fruit would be Caltrans land and Phil Tang did another great piece of legislation last year, which was to amend AB 857, which allows us to have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more pull with Caltrans to be able to utilize space. And you can't create housing or shelter directly under a freeway, but you can on the sides of it and you can do programming underneath it. So we have plenty of Caltrans land that would be appropriate for this use. And it's in the legislation that I think it's leased to the city for something nominal like a dollar. Mm -hmm. And so it's more about creating these land use agreements, these license agreements with Caltrans that removes their liability and then you would want to find an operator who would also have a license agreement and insurance etc and a structure for programming and the wonderful news is that we have that we have the structure available through the saint francis homelessness challenge for what we call our safe organized spaces transitional villages sos transitional villages and it's really about meeting the essential needs of the folks that are uh, in this transitional period. We have a pilot of this that's over at the Impact Hub at 15th and Minna in the Mission. And what happens is that you have a license agreement that's pretty boilerplate, and that was designed for us by pro bono lawyer uh, supported by Mission Housing Development Corporation. And so we have a license agreement, and uh, I worked on that with the property owner, in this case, the Impact Hub, uh, in order to fine tune some of the specifics about what they as a property owner uh, required in order to participate in this program. Then we have a an unsheltered resident who uh, in our pilot is someone who was living on the streets for two years and got to go into the navigation center for a month, about a year and a half ago. Uh, but she met with me and then three neighbors that live in the next door condo are part of what we call our community integration team. And, and that's a key piece of this is that you mentioned it before and I was so happy to hear those words come out of your mouth, the community integrated aspect of this, because it's a key feature of our program that the, you know, the city needs to provide and support essential needs for people, uh, for humans, which is, you know, going to the bathroom, having trash, having a place to belong, having security, et cetera. And then there's also a responsibility from the participants. No one's just a recipient, but if you're part of this village, then you're helping with contributing to operations of the village, which cuts down on the cost of it because everybody's doing something and it's also integrated into the community. And so uh, the key issue you asked about land 
And in this case, you know, the Impact Hub raised their hand and said we could do a pilot project there. If there's any other property owners in San Francisco who had enough land, uh, I mean, even 400 square feet, you know, would be something that we could work with uh, to set up another pilot. That would be awesome. And we could move forward with that with the same kind of license agreement and insurance. But for me, when people complain about encampment residents in their neighborhood and they call 311, uh, that is a signal that they're also identifying if there's land in their neighborhood that's either city owned or privately owned, they're asking somebody to come in and create a solution to that. And so I like to focus on creating these villages in already impacted neighborhoods where neighborhoods that already have encampments in them and uh, we do have lots of public land that if I were mayor I would activate uh, we have there's there's ample public land to be able to do this if someone had the political will but they just don't know how to move past the the issue and the pushback of the nimbyism but I think I've created a solution for that right we focus on impacted neighborhoods um, and then you have the license agreements you have the insurance you have the program structure the community integration and participation and these actually end up being a benefit to the neighborhood because part of the operations is making sure that people are participating for graffiti removal nearby and trash pickup and some kind of service potentially could be offered through that village there's just oh, it's just so exciting to think about if we did truly have power through the mayor's office that we could have an exciting summer of love and logic. It would be awesome. It truly would. Because what we could do is we would, we would invite everyone, including unhoused residents, including people in shelters, including impacted neighborhoods and businesses, to say, we're going to build 3,000 of these individual shelters. It's going to be a city-build project, right? Uh, we're going to city build is the actual name of a program, but uh, we might work with city build. But I, I, I mean it in that more inclusive sense of the city would be working together to build our way out of this crisis situation. Right. right? Which would also give people uh, volunteer and, and, and job skill opportunities as well to be a part of that. And, sure. Uh, so my question about this pilot, the one that's being piloted at Impact Hub as we have a few more minutes, um, is talk about the, the, so there's safe organized spaces for trans for transitional, uh, times. So I have a couple questions. Um, one, how long is that transition period in, in, in what you and the rest of the St. Francis homelessness challenge has surmised to be, um, a re an amount of time that somebody might spend in one of these uh, S SOS villages. Um, and also, uh, of the pilot that's happening right now, who are the residents? Because I think one of the things when we look at um, trying to provide uh, social services and housing solutions for folks who have found themselves on the street for one reason or another, you have a, 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 a big range of people who are out there. You might have the runaway uh, from you know youth. Um, you might have the single mother who's uh, left a domestic violence situation or they've got evicted because they 
work full-time on uh, minimum wage and can't afford San Francisco. Um, and then you have individuals, you have people who have, um, you know, a substance abuse or mental illness problems. So um, who's actually comprising this particular pilot village? Sure. So uh, to the first question, how long can people stay? It is indefinite. It's, hmm. it, but it's part of the agreement that we developed together I, I you know as the director of the St. Francis Homeless Challenge and this this project developer uh, or this program developer I I created an agreement that the person who's living in the program agreed to before she signed on we actually met together and revised it so I created an opportunity for feedback and actually added a few things with her input which is very important because this all has to be very individualized. And I have a background working in mental health and transitional housing. And so it, it truly has to be focused on, you know, having this individual's particular needs uh, be in the forefront while also saying there's reasonable agreements for safety and health. And one of those agreements is that whatever the goals were for this particular individual, she had to be making some kind of effort on her transition goals. And so we have connected with a partnership with Downtown Streets team that does counseling and vocational and transitional counseling for unhoused residents. And they are providing her with uh, twice a month support around that. And so it's a requirement that no matter what your goals are, that you're making progress towards them. And the issue is that um, many folks who have been on the street get in such a mindset of being resilient and independent that oftentimes when they are offered an SRO room that requires a payee from the city, uh, they resist that. And so it's important for us to be able to have alternatives for what a new bottom rung is for individuals. Uh, so we're saying you don't sleep on the street, but if you are refusing to have an SRO because uh, you don't want to have a payee uh, or you're saying you don't want to be in a shared shelter area or we just want to, we want more options available to people. And so this transitional village model, it's not, uh, you know, it's not living indoors with plumbing and electricity. It's it's that's why it's an SOS village. It's off grid, so there's a porta potty, and uh, you know we're still trying to figure out a safe, non toxic way to uh, have insulation so it's warmer. But I have spent the night in one of the coldest nights of of the year in the shelter. Multiple, you know, like I've spent multiple nights in the shelter, and if you have a sleeping bag. You know, you're not going to freeze in California, which is a, a good thing in San Francisco. Right? Yeah, that problem in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, a little colder. Yeah, yeah. That's one. Of, that's one of uh, the draws that people assume. They're like, well, people are homeless here because of the weather. Um, but in some cases, that is a it's a major factor when you're exposed to the elements 24 hours a day, and making that that making it difficult for you to transition into your next stage, to get to work, to be clean, uh, to to navigate the shelter system um, or, or move your car or move your tiny house on your truck. Sure. So we, we, we literally have two more minutes of, of this particular show of women's magazine. Um, so 
Renee, you've been here um, kind of uh, as, as Amy's been talking about San Francisco. Let's let's bring this in a little bit because Tiny Fest is coming up June 15th to 17th at Santa Clara County Fairgrounds in San Jose and tinyfestcalifornia.com. So uh, how do you see this being a, I mean, I, I kind of see this as an opportunity to integrate because one of the major issues with tiny homes is not having the permission to be in certain places. And then we've got Amy who's got her head in the, in the books of, uh, of zoning and, and, and working together. Um, how can we, how can we connect these two things here for, uh, yeah, well, things like this that you're doing today are making a great connection. You know, Amy and I thought maybe we'd met before and I, I just remembered what, how we may have met. And so, uh, you know, it's great to make this connection again, putting people together and, um, at the tiny house festival and any other events that people are having a affordable housing week events that are going on this affordable housing week started today. Those things make the connections where people can keep um, moving forward. And there are a lot of opportunities I feel at tiny fest, California to do that. Um, and that also the tiny houses really can help address housing um, needs at several different levels. You know, the, the missing middle, the um, folks like Amy is trying to help that are trying to get that first rung on the ladder. Um, folks that are that are elderly, if they can put a tiny house on wheels as an ADU in their backyard, um, then they can rent out their big house. They no longer have four kids that need four bedrooms or two bedrooms or whatever they had living in before. And so um, making those connections between individuals, if we, work to become a stronger community in, in, in all ways, then we can make individual connections and um, organizational connections, political connections that can just help work together to solve this problem one step at a time. Excellent. Well, thank you both for being my guests here today on Women's Magazine. Feel free to hang out, stick around. If you've got a few more minutes, Common Thread Collective is coming up next. You've been listening to Women's Magazine here on mutinyradio.fm, San Francisco's Mission District. I'm Global Val. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, 